Hey, it's Jay, and I just wanted to let you know that this episode of Three Clips will be my last as the host. I've really enjoyed creating this show and sharing all these stories and learning from all these incredible creators and podcasters, along with you over about two years of running the show. You're going to be hearing from the team at Castos in an upcoming episode really soon with a brand new host, and I love that the show is going to continue on. And I know they have some really exciting additions to the Three Clips brand that they're going to share with you. I wanted to thank you so much for your precious time and attention to what we've created here. I wish you a ton of success and joy creating the show that you always imagined you could create. And I hope this little program had a hand in it and will continue to have a hand in that. So thank you so, so much for coming on this journey with me. And I'm really excited for this journey to continue in the amazingly creative and capable hands over at Castos. All right. And with that, let's start my final episode of the show. Welcome to Three Clips, where podcasters take us inside their process a few pieces at a time. I'm Jay Akunzo, and this is a Castos original series. As always, our goal is to demystify the creative process behind great podcasts, to break it down to the micro moments and hidden techniques and decisions that go into creating something inspiring and great, and hopefully that will inspire greater creativity in your show. To help us today, we're going to learn from Jude Brewer of the show Storybound. Jude is also a producer on this show. It's a detail you need to know. Storybound is what Jude would call a radio theater podcast, and I'm going to get into what that means when I talk to him in a bit. The show's four seasons are comprised of about 60 episodes, and over the past four seasons, listeners have been treated to their favorite authors reading some of their most powerful writing, which is then designed with immersive sound environments and experimental cross-genre music compositions, all handcrafted and arranged by Jude. Really cool format, and we're going to hear about how that comes together. The marriage of reading a story and hearing it designed into sound with lots of great music and, and all the technique that goes into that. So I can't wait to talk to Jude about that. And Jude doesn't really come from this medium, not originally. Like a lot of us, he came from something that felt tangential. He's an actor, a writer, and a musician. And he's also done some sound design and audio production, like on this show, for example. But like many of us, he is not formally, classically, or traditionally trained to do what he does with Storybound. It's an amalgam of previous skills. I love that about podcasting, and I love that about Jude and his show. But before we break down his show, let's first get to know Jude Brewer. You do a lot of a lot, it seems, given your bio, and some I just learned about from you. So, because this is a weird meta episode where you're both a guest and also a producer, um, but the show is is different and interesting. So, I want to profile it. But before we get to the show, how did you get into podcasting? I got into podcasting sort of by accident. It was 2016. I was working in healthcare at the time doing medical billing. And before that, I had done warehousing. So just a series of jobs that was keeping me afloat and keeping the water running. And then so in 2016, that's when I started experimenting more with audio production, which I had done a little bit in college while I was putting myself through and working Blockbuster and doing whatever. 
So I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time. Like I started with some of the basics, This American Life or or WTF podcast with Mark Marin. I started listening to a lot of comedy shows at the time, and I wanted to make a comedy show of a bunch of friends talking about movies while they would dissect them, but in sort of a hilarious way. And we experimented with that and did about six episodes. And I realized I was a little more serious about pursuing this than they were. I had done storytelling before, uh, a, lot, a lot of live storytelling in theater. And so that's sort of when I thought, oh, cool, maybe I can put like sound effects and music to stories. And so I started the podcast Storytellers Telling Stories in 2017. So you described story bound. So there's a theme here with story uh, and, and your work, which I can relate to and get on board with. But you describe story bound as a radio theater podcast. What does that mean? Well, Growing up, so I would listen to, I, I, lo- I loved Twilight Zone growing up, and I loved a lot of radio shows, which Rod Serling, he came from the world of radio. And Lights Out was a popular one that I really liked, which you can still find. The, you can go find old recordings of the radio theater show Lights Out. on, on Go look it up on Spotify or any archives online. And they were really funny little horror stories where the, I think the first episode was this man's wife randomly turns into a cat and starts trying to attack him. And it's not particularly scary, but there was a lot of voice acting, a lot of sound effects. And I loved the idea of just sort of disappearing into this other world, but not having the visual. That's what really interested me because I read a lot of books as a kid. And as I got older, I actually read less books and was watching more video. So there was something very meditative to lay awake at night, right before falling asleep, like maybe that last hour, or if I could just lay down in the dark and just listen to something and try and generate those pictures in my head. And I was like, cool, I think I can, I can create that if I wanted to. Storybound is one of those shows where you might encounter the guests that you talk to elsewhere, whether it's in other podcasts or elsewhere in the media, but you probably won't hear them like you hear them on your show. And I think that's the power of having the premise and the format. When you reach out to these writers, how do you describe what they're about to do to them so they both get excited and agree and also like know and come prepared? You might be slightly surprised or disappointed in this answer that I don't really prepare our guests at all. Oh, wow. I don't I really don't do a whole lot of preparation. So what we'll do is we'll reach out to the author or their publisher will reach out to us, kind of depends. And we'll ask for an excerpt and say, I, I, in the very beginning of the show, we would say, oh, I want a 20 page excerpt. We soon realized 20 pages was way too much because <laughs> you're talking maybe two, at least two minutes of audio time per page. So now that's a 40 minute episode minimum. But then you're going to add sound effects and music, and now you're going to have an hour-plus show, and putting together an hour-plus show every week with all that production is just, it's not even fun at that point, because I don't even know <laughs> if our listeners are going to tune into that. Yeah. Now we're down to about seven to ten pages, essentially, and I'll say, cool, we want to find the perfect seven to ten pages out of your book that's going to want someone to buy that book, or at least read more of your writing, and then on top of that, you know, you're just going to want to read it nice and slow and real gradual. I, I always tell writers... Read like you're trying to tell a story to your child at night or like you're trying to tell a story across the table at a noisy bar to your friend. Oh, I love that. You want to like have that real personal feel like you really want them to pay attention to every word. Yeah. Each writer does it with their own delivery. We actually got, I feel like I've read criticism of the show from a couple of reviewers 
And I took it to heart at the beginning because I thought maybe I should give the guests more preparation. Maybe I should try and coach them and try and do more of a storytelling vibe. But I think there's something to it by just letting them do it in their rhythm. And then when it comes into the production, that's on my end to try and match what they're doing and not necessarily... I mean, sometimes episodes are going to be more produced than others. Sometimes they're going to be a little more stripped down. So I, I usually don't give them a lot of prep. Why make the show this way where it's, you know, it's it's a heavy lift, right? It's uh, You could just have them read it. And we we profiled another show called Two Pages with MBS, where they read two pages of, of someone else's book, not their own, so that he talks to more than just writers because you're reading from someone else's works. But, you know, you could have a more straight ahead version, which is, you know, read and perform the best excerpt. And you chose to go one giant leap further with the original music. Why add that layer to it? Because I'm masochistic. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyone in production is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I actually do ask myself that. I'd say probably at the midpoint of every season. Yeah. Because I always come in with this strong feeling of inspiration. Like I know what I want this season to be like because I know what we've done last time, what we've done before, what we haven't done. And I know how I kind of want to push it in very little way, in, in subtle ways. But it's that halfway point where I go, man, I think I'm going to reach burnout because I'm, I'm putting a lot of time into each episode. I used to put 40 hours into an episode and it was, I mean, it just wasn't feasible with everything else that I want to pursue at the same time. Right. Doing that much on everyone's story, like 40 hours a week on, on someone else's story while also wanting to write my own. It just like mentally, I don't think it was really good for myself. So I've gotten it down to as my, most 20, sometimes 10 or 12 hours an episode. It's just a matter of kind of perfecting it. So it's not as bad as it used to be. And also, I think the core reason why I want to do it is because it's fun for me. Like I wouldn't be doing the show if I wasn't having fun with it. I think it has to be fun for me or else it's not going to be fun for the audience. Like that's all that matters at the end of it, right? So let's go to the clip so people can actually hear this masochistic endeavor of yours. We're going to pull all of our clips today from Storybound Season 4, Episode 11. And the very first episode of Season 1 was published on December 3rd, 2019. So that gives you an idea of, you know, they're not one season a year, you're doing multiple per year and new episodes publish weekly when you're in season. So again, we're going to look at season four, listen to season four, episode 11. Um, we're going to hear the the first clip. We're going to hear the opening of that episode, which introduces us into the world of Miriam Gerba's trauma. So Miriam Gerba is the writer. We're going to hear about her trauma with a remixed version of the musical artist Zola Jesus's song Exhumed. So let's go to that clip.
most of my writing, this essay included at a kitchen table I've had for about 20 years. So that gives us a really good feel for the way you produce the show, which, you know, I, don't take this the wrong way. You're not opposed to making the listener feel uncomfortable compared to what they hear from other shows, right? It's like a very prolonged music only section and you don't do a ton of handholding. I think I even remember coming, maybe that episode, I think maybe we came back from a commercial break and then you just start playing the music. So it's not even like, and now we hear from the a remixed version of the song Exhumed by Zola Jesus. You didn't have this like kind of classic handholding approach that a lot of hosts use. Is that by design? Are you just sick of the norm? Like that, talk me through that kind of style. It's 100% by design. And it's funny you say that because even as we're listening to it, I'm thinking, like, wow, this is such a, a annoying beginning to a show. But <laughs> I did it from, well, okay. So when we, when Miriam first read this story, and I will say this, the way every episode is produced is what I'm feeling when I'm listening to the recording. So when I was listening to her recording, I thought, wow, this is a very intense story, very personal, very raw, probably one of the most violent episodes we've had on the show. Well, and just for context, because the listener to this show has not heard that yet, she's talking about a moment of abuse. She she taught she describes being abused and that that got cut off in that clip. So that's that's what you're referring to. Correct. Yes. And this is also the first episode of this uh, in our in the 60 episodes so far where we did include a content warning at the beginning because I want people to know what they're getting into. And so when Miriam chose that story, I thought, yeah, we should do it. It's going to push the boundaries of our show a little bit, but it's going to tell a very honest story and it's really well written. But it was also very short. It was only maybe 15 minutes long and our episodes are about a half hour. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to put a commercial break in the middle of this story. There's no point in this story where a commercial break is going to fit. That's when I thought, okay, how about, and this was very last minute, probably three or four weeks before the episode was going to air. I asked Miriam if she would just do an interview with me. And so we sat down or we just met over Zoom and we, and we chatted. And then when I was putting the episode together, that's when my dilemma was, should I do the story first? Should I do the story last? Should I do whatever? And I thought, no, actually, I should start with her talking to me because then at least people are going to say, okay, cool, this is going to be, and I'm going to learn a little something. It's going to be a little bit of an interview. You get a good like five minute chunk of the interview, then commercial break, then story. And I looked at the song as a way to set the tone for the story because when I heard the song exhumed, I knew I wanted it for that story, but I didn't necessarily want to make the story super intense all throughout. I just wanted to kind of let's like jump into this really deep, dark feeling and it's going to feel uncomfortable and really long. Yes. But also by the time it ends, you get this kind of weird like hip hop groove that she's reading to and you're sort of ready to get into it with her because you've been, already been right. through this, right. this little sonic journey. And then when that's over, you get a little interview at the end of the episode. So it's one of my favorites for that reason, just because I got to play with, we don't get to, when I get to experiment, I really enjoy it. Well, that, that's why I appreciate the show, I think, is it, it plays with and, and rips apart and rebuilds form. I, I love when people think about the form, the structure, the way you can deliver audio. I think the tradition of shows that I admire the most are kind of the narrative style, which, you know, they're at first glance, 
they're the ones that push form, but then you start to listen to a lot of them and you just notice so many commonalities. And I think that's like any niche in podcasting. If you listen to a lot of interview shows, you listen to a lot of comedy podcasts, like you mentioned, you start to pick up on all these through lines, all these tropes. And if you're immersed in it long enough as a consumer, or as a creator, I think you almost want to break free simply, not even by saying something different, but the way the way you say something different is to break the form. And I, you know, I think in some ways that's why like Richard's Famous Food Podcast, Richard Parks the Third has been on this show, Richard's Famous Food Podcast, like that's a good example of like, it's a it's a wink and a nod to people that understand a lot of tropes in podcasting in many ways, or a lot of food shows, or a lot of culture-based shows, and he just sort of like respects it, but really subverts it. And so I found that here is like, there is this subversion to your show. And, you know, maybe that's overanalyzing it, but that's what I picked up on when I listened. So let's move to the second clip. In this clip, Miriam Gerba is shopping for a new bed with her friend. She needs a new bed because she's trying to remove the objects in her life associated with the trauma she experienced. And again, this is her her partner assaulting her. And that's why you heard in clip number one, she references her table because that's sort of where it began. And she describes it in vivid detail. So we're, we're not playing those vivid details. We're fast forwarding a little bit further into the content here. And so this is the clip where she's shopping for a new bed because she's trying to, again, remove anything associated with that moment of trauma that she experienced. Let's go to the clip. Instead of directing his questions at me, the bitch with the purpose and the money, the salesman repeatedly addresses the shy man I've invited to stand at my side. He's there so that I'll have somebody to cry to in the parking lot once we're done. He's not there to speak on my behalf. I can do that myself. I don't need an ambassador. in the parking lot, it rains. I appreciate the symmetry. The old bed is gone and a new one occupies its place. I won't describe it. You don't need to visualize it to get how much having it matters to me, how important it is that this new piece of furniture now holds me. I paid for it with money that I earned writing. I wrote my way into a new bed. I love its smell. It smells of not him, and that happens to be the best smell in the world. So in many ways, you know, one of the most complicated edits that I've tried to profile on this show gives way to one of the easiest productions of any episode of Three Clips because you produce this show. <laughs> so I can just ask you, you picked that clip. Why? I picked that clip because this is the point of the episode when it locked in for me, when I was working on it. And I felt I was putting a little bit of my own narrative voice along with her story, but in it was still within her voice. It's, I'm trying to think like, if these writers were able to put music to their own stuff, but in the vein of which I would, I guess, you know, what's going to honor the story the most. And so for me, it was like, I, I wanted to live in her world with her. If she's talking about sitting in the car 
and crying. I'm like, let's just sit with her and do that. Like, let's just stop the story for a bit and let's return to that moment and let's really feel like we're there. But then even when the narration continues, I want that moment of that rain and that sound, that really ugly sound, you know, in her head. I wanted that to keep interrupting her narration. I wanted it to just kind of be that present reminder that even though these good things are happening and she's moving forward, there's just this subtle moment of it resurfacing. But then when the drums start doing this reverse section, when they go in, in it, when they're going in reverse, she's talking about how the pillows smell good. So it was kind of, it's when you hear drums in reverse, it has this weird, like clean, like slicing effect and it almost feels like she's just getting rid of stuff. I don't know. It's, I, I try That's that for me, that's when I'm like really in it and I'm having fun. So that's why I chose the clip. Talk a little bit about the relationship between what is being said and how you try and score it. Cause I think it's really easy to turn a good moment of voice into a kind of kitsch moment when you add sound designs or you add music or both. It's really difficult to kind of strike the right balance where it's like, it's almost like a Goldilocks thing, right? It's like you can have none or you can have too little. You can definitely do it too much. And I see that a lot, especially with people just starting out doing more than just interview audio or their own voice. When you start to use music and sound, you can really ruin what's being said. So how do you try and strike that balance? How do you work through that? You know, what's going through your mind, I guess, in, in a moment like that? I trust a lot of my intuition. And that comes from when we pick the author, I also have a series of musicians that I like. And when I, I just kind of listen to it, I go, oh, I really like Zola Jesus. Which one of their songs? I like the song Exhumed. All right, which one of our episodes does this go with? Oh, I think this will go great with this. So then now we got the recording of the author and I haven't done anything with it. And I sit on it for about a week or two. And meanwhile, I'm just remixing the song. That's all I'm doing. So Zola Jesus, they give us all the stems for the song. So I have all the drum tracks separated. I have the guitar tracks. I get a whole file of all these just raw recordings. And then that's what I assemble the score with along with adding extra drums and extra sounds that I've created here and there. And so a lot of it is just cool. Now I'm in the playground. Let's just try and build what I would call every episode has its own little sonic world mm. where like in this world, these are the sounds of it and they might repeat. So some episodes I, when there's laughter in a, in a, in a, in a story or there can be, I love it because then I get to play with the laugh and I can make it a part of the beat or I can reverse the laugh and make it sound creepy. There's a lot of little different like things you can do with it. Once I understand the playground and I feel like it's, it fits the mood of the story that's when I put the author recording itself into it. And I think, okay, now let's just build now knowing the rules of the playground, knowing all the elements, how do I build them around the recording? What would you tell someone you clearly have like a depth of knowledge and how to use these, not even just in your intuition and what you hear, but also technically, you know, how to use those stems and, and add things and remix things and manipulate them. If someone's just starting out, how do you, what would you say to them to say like, Hey, you know, watch for these things and proceed like this. So you don't mess it up. Yeah. Well, that's a great question because I'm not formally trained in any of this and I'm self-taught in most of it. And I started out using a, pro a program called Mixcraft six. Anytime I say it, everyone makes that same furrowed, like, huh? Interesting. <laughs> no one knows what it is. Nope. It's this random PC software that I found in college. And I, cause I didn't understand Apple. I didn't have the money to buy a Mac or any of that stuff. I just bought the cheapest software program I had and I just messed around with it. And like, you can 
you can make a lot with very little. There was a documentary, not a very good documentary, so I, I, it's okay if I don't remember anybody. I think it's called Get Loud, maybe. But Jack White's in it, and you have Jimmy Page and the guitarist from U2, The Edge. And Jack White's making a guitar out of a out of a two by four and some string, and I don't know, and, and like this battery or something. And he let, he he manages to make an electrical guitar out of it. He goes, "Cool, that's music. You got yourself a guitar." Yeah, I think really like using the tools that you have to make something and then just pushing the boundaries of it. Like I just spent a lot of time experimenting, a lot of time experimenting. So now I'm at the point where because I know what I want to do, I've been teaching myself Pro Tools for probably about last three years. And I would still consider myself a, I wouldn't consider myself a master of it at all. I have a lot of techniques where I just lean on. And if an actual very experienced engineer probably saw what I'm doing, they go, they'd probably say, you know, you could save yourself a lot of time. Yeah. But but I learned it the way I did. And so I think it's just continually experimenting and getting really obsessive about it. Because every time I would make something, then I would want to export the file, hear it in my car, hear it on my phone, hear it in my headphones, hear it there. Like I just I want to make sure that it sounds good and I want to like create that experience. And I would get frustrated. There were nights where I was like I have headaches after an episode because I'm just like thinking about it too much and I'm burning out because I'm like why don't this sucks. No one's even going to like this. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I feel seen. I feel seen. I think a lot of podcasters do too. And I also I think about this all the time where especially early, maybe because of information overload because you can access knowledge quickly and everywhere on the internet from some of the best and brightest, maybe because of information overload, maybe because you're trying to hide. But a lot of people who start, they just run too far into the tools, equipment, studio setup, buying stuff that they sort of surround themselves with the apparatus. The analogy I always use is, so I played basketball growing up as a kid. I still try my best and then ice my knees. But I, So when you play pickup basketball, you get familiar with this type of player you encounter on the court, you know, I'm picturing like an outdoor court or an indoor gym with like open runs. This player looks the part of a basketball player. They have like all the gear. They have like the brand new shoes that everyone loves at that moment in time. They'll wear like the compression sleeve. They got a jersey you admire. They just look great. They got, you know, a, a fancy gym bag with like, you know, all the different stuff inside of that, the protein bars, the the whatever edgy drink technology Gatorade just released, right? And then a funny thing happens when the game starts is they can't play. So they look the part of a player because they've bought all the gear and kind of carry themselves like that. And they forgot that like the point of basketball is playing basketball. So like the point of creating whatever it is you create, the point of being on a microphone is being good on a microphone. And it doesn't matter. Like it could be your iPhone. It could be your earbuds. It could be your AirPods. It doesn't matter at first especially and like you would listen to somebody with a, a, a command of the craft and a wonderful story to tell on tinny audio before you'd listen to somebody saying essentially nothing on the most expensive mic with the best camera and and lighting possible and we forget that we want to look the part before we know how to play but like playing is what this is so start with what you have from an equipment standpoint and like master the ability to put yourself on a microphone and say something that matters or to edit things together that sound reasonably good. That's the game. 
right. Like trying to build the brand before you actually started figuring out what business you wanted to even get involved in. Yeah. Yeah. You see that on social all the time. People, people like in their Twitter bio would say like the growth guy or whatever, or they'll have like, you know, a hashtag in their own name. And it's like, before you're, you're trying to become some kind of icon before you've done like literally any of the work to help people or build an audience. It's bizarre. It's, we get it backwards. Let's go to the third and final clip. In this clip, Jude, you're interviewing Miriam about the process of writing about trauma and how to empathize with others who are in the middle of a traumatic situation. Let's play it. So for the people who don't understand the complicated dynamics of an abusive environment, how do they respond to your story when they hear it? So frequently, when I have told my story to people, I have been asked, why did you not do X, Y, or Z? And my answer often is because I didn't want to die. I hope what many people can come to eventually understand is that when people are lured into relationships that involve domestic violence, what often hangs above the scenario is a death threat. That's why we don't leave. We don't want to die. And so leaving is a very fraught prospect. And it's one that is made much easier with assistance. Over half of the unhoused population is women who have fled domestic violence. We shouldn't have to leave. We should be able to stay home. And the person who is harming us should be the entity who has to leave. They should be the ones expelled from the scenario. So what I want to advise people of is this. If you suspect that somebody you care about is trapped in a situation of domestic violence, understand that that person is trapped. Is that a typical type of interview featured on your show? You know, I, I've scanned the list and there's a lot of different topics. Do you wade into these types of hard to hear, but important to hear waters typically? Because if, if, if I first, if I just describe the premise of the show, and let me just give this preamble before you answer. If I describe this to a friend, I'm like, it's a bunch of writers, great writers reading their favorite excerpts and it's scored to original music, which is remixed largely from existing artists. And, you know, Jude, the host, creator and producer will remix it to the to, to the read, to the performance of that writing. It sounds fun. It sounds playful. It sounds what like that. There's a, there's an experience I'd like to immerse myself in. Right. And here we are talking about trauma, uh, hearing an uncomfortable track, hearing an uncomfortable essay or excerpt of an essay. And then you're interviewing Miriam on the back end. Was this a new approach for this, this show for you? This episode was a very new approach in the show. And I, believe I didn't really realize it until I was actually trying to score it. When I started trying to score it, I realized that I couldn't do this episode the same way we've done other episodes. And we have done interviews, but typically it's like the story's over and I ask them about their book and it's very far and few in between. I don't do very many interviews on the show. And I definitely wanted to do this one right. And I took this one personally because I had a friend who had died a couple of years ago and she had been in a very uh, devastating domestic abuse situation. And in fact, this part of the interview in particular, what struck me for it was when she, it's right when she says, I didn't want to die. 
that was actually towards the end of the interview where I actually just, my brain kind of shut off. I had a hard time asking any other questions. There wasn't really much more for me to say. She had kind of really said it all. And, and it ended in a very interesting way. And I spent the next few days in a pretty low, in a pretty low point. And because I feel like it just, it hit me in such a way. That episode has actually been one that has been challenging me to think, how can I do that more often with the show? Mm. Because I, I want it to be fun and playful. I think fun and playful is great, but I also really believe in like those weeks where you go, wow, I didn't see that one coming. I really have to think it's going to make me rethink some things in my life because in the past like three years have been kind of insane for me. I had, I had two friends die one year and then the following year my dad died. And then now I'm getting in, in the same year my dad died, I'm in like a stepfather situation. Wow. It's kind of like a lot's coming at me all at once. My art has to reflect that in order for me to continue moving through my life, in order for me to continue pursuing it. Right. So this episode in particular, just I was like, this was someone's really traumatic part of their life. So it's like, man, we better make this as strong as we would any other episode. And now I'm like, when I listen to it, I want to keep doing more of that. The show. I can sense that, you know, each episode you find the meaning in it, you personally. And there's obviously meaning in doing the show for you overall. I can sense as a listener, I would find meaning in each episode. Is there some kind of meaning you're trying to impart with the show overall to the listener in the way that some shows have premises that are like, we're out to change this thing. Join us as we explore that. Do you have that overriding mission with the show for the listener? I wish I had a really strong mission for the show. I don't. I, I, and I don't, I, I think maybe that's one failing of the show in terms of reaching even uh, a wider audience. And maybe not. That's just my own criticism of it. I feel that because it's difficult for me to pin it down and describe it sometimes, I, it makes me feel as though I'm, I'm doing something wrong or I need to kind of figure out what that is. But what keeps constant for me, as long as it doesn't feel like I just half-assed an episode. As long as it feels like I cared about every story in an equal way, people are going to tune into something and they're okay with it being a little different from last week. And maybe that's why they keep tuning in. They're like, I never know what to expect. I had a past producer bar me from using this name on, in a production because I used it too much, but I'll do it now with you. My favorite storyteller of all time, Anthony Bourdain. He has said that before where he was like with his show on CNN. He's like, Next episode is not like, I love that you love this episode, but next episode is going to be completely different. And you may not like if you're returning to get more of the same, you might be disappointed. And he's like, I'm okay with that. Now, part of that's the sort of shtick he had of like, you know, doesn't give an, a flying fig about anything. And part of it is also the way he had built his career to that point was kind of built on creative risk taking. So that's kind of, even though he was saying each episode would be different, that's kind of the consistency that you expected from him in a weird roundabout way, right? You expected it to be different. You kind of wanted it to be, you wanted to see what he would do next with his team. But I got a lot of, I got that vibe from you right there. We haven't talked about, this is kind of a meta level question, not so much the content, but the way you produce the show is seasons. And so you talked about not half-assing an episode. Is that the buffer you need? I, I deal with this with my other show, Unthinkable, constantly. It's a narrative show. I want to try new things. And here I am, you know, literally at the time we're speaking, I was just scripting a new episode of that show and thinking to myself, like, if I had three or four more days on this script, I know it'd be better. Now, we often say as creators, if only I had more time and maybe that's not healthy, maybe we need the deadlines. But part of me is thinking, maybe I got to get out of this hamster wheel of a weekly show. 
I'm doing a weekly show and, you know, or I guess there's two narrative episodes, two monologue episodes. So it's not quite a weekly narrative, but still, if I did seasons, I think, oh, maybe this show could be better. I could take more risks, explore more ambitious stories, try new things in the production. And then the other voice goes, well, but then you're going away for a while. And who's to say listeners are going to stick around or it's going to be a Herculean effort to like raise anticipation for the next season once more. And so maybe just plot along. How do you think about seasons? Wow, the way you described that is pretty close to the little <laughs> neuroses that race around in my head. Yeah, like, it's constant. If I should be doing this at all. That was a discussion very early on about the show. And I decided that I really wanted to do seasons because I did like the break in between. And uh, I knew I needed that. And I was willing to accept the risk that maybe people wouldn't come back. But even if they, even if they didn't, then every time a new season starts, it's sort of like changing your hairstyle or changing your look. You just get to start over. Same theme, but you get to approach it in a different way. I look at a new season as a way to kind of renew and reinvigorate the show for myself. And also, it's a lot easier to think of an endpoint, to think, oh, one of these, one of these days, there's going to be a final season. And what's that going to look like? It kind of helps me figure out the arc of the show a little better because I can say, this is what season one was like. This was two. This was three. This is four. And I'm already right now kind of really excited about season five because I, the other day I just did a full remix of our theme. We've had the same theme for the first four seasons, but I really wanted it to sound different because I'm getting tired of it. And I feel like the show has evolved beyond the first season. Yeah, there's going to be a new theme for the fifth season. And I've also been experimenting with my own little solo show where I do all the voice work myself and all the music. And it's even more long drawn out and probably obnoxious. So, and I don't know if I ever want to release it because it, it, whatever, it's fun. (laughs) Well, you're, this is, these are all perfect segues into the last segment, which it's almost like, you know what the show is all about. I don't know. In our last segment, there's no clip. We look ahead because even if you start out great or have been running well for a time, reinvention is a gift. Stagnation is the enemy. If you don't reinvent, you're probably not going to be as invested in the show. You're going to start to tune out and certainly your listener might. So stagnation is the enemy over time. What are you thinking about doing or trying or what would you like to do? What's on the bucket list for this show? in a future season, whether that's the next one or, or down the road? I feel like I keep discovering new li- new items on the bucket list. Right now, I mean, there I would love to just have some more high-profile names of authors, but that's only because then I can get to match them up with musicians that nobody's ever heard. Or I'm really excited to some, or find more high-profile musicians and then put them with maybe a, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author, but maybe still not even very well-known. I still feel like there's more we can do in terms of blending uh, someone really well-known and someone not really well-known. And so kind of having that cool Venn diagram of, of audiences that have never interacted with one another before. Awesome. Well, Jude, thank you for coming on the show and also for then taking the rest of this audio and making it good because you're also going to produce this episode. So I'm going to name drop you in the credits too, as if you haven't gotten enough play <laughs> on this episode. Selfish. It's selfish what you're doing. Do it. <laughs> The show is incredible and it's definitely worth people's time. It is not like any other show about writing or authors uh, that you've heard. So the show is called Storybound. Please go check it out wherever you can get your podcast. Jude Brewer, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jay. And by the way, congratulations on closing out on the show. I'm. It's been really, really fun working with you and I'm really excited 
to continue listening to Unthinkable because it's a killer show. So I hope everyone tunes into that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It is my digital baby. And I know people who are listening to Three Clips will enjoy what's coming next on this show too. So thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening. You can find all episodes on our website and support the show by sending a friend there. It's threeclipspodcast.com. This episode was produced by Jude Brewer. (laughs) And our original music is from Tyler Litwin. My work, including my other podcast, Unthinkable, that's where I tell stories to inspire creative work, can be found at jayacunzo.com. Please keep in touch as I move off this show. I've I've loved every moment of this, and I can't wait to connect with you elsewhere. That's at jayacunzo.com. Three Clips is a Castos original series. Castos will continue to run this show as they've supported it in the past, and they're going to help you learn more from other podcasters. This journey is not over for you. I I can't wait to see what they do. And if you're interested in learning more about how Castos can help you away from the show, visit castos.com. That's C-A-S-T-O-S.com to explore their tools to help you create, distribute, and grow your podcast and your audience. All these links are in your show notes. And now it's time for our bonus segment, where every episode, we ask our guests for a podcast they'd recommend that is not super famous. It's a show they want to show some love to. We call this Play It Forward. So for my Play It Forward, I'm recommending So Says Rick. That's says as an S-E-Z. And Rick Hall is a really cool storyteller. He's an LA actor. You should look him up on IMDb and see some of the shows that he's been in over the years. You're like... Oh, he was in Seinfeld. Oh, he was in Key and Peele. Oh, he was in some Disney Channel show. He's done everything. He's always been like a little bit actor here and there. And on his podcast, there are only like maybe 15 minute episodes, sometimes as long as 25 minutes. And they're just telling very short little stories of his life. And then his wife, Laura Hall, will do music uh, in the beginning with him and and also have a little conversation. Fun fact about her, she was the, or still is, the pianist for Whose Line Is It Anyway? So if you ever look up (laughs) Whose Line Is It Anyway? old sketches and you see the pianist playing on the piano, that's her. They're just a really cool little improv duo and they're very nice people. And I, I think So Says Rick is a spectacular show to listen to. All right, that's it for this episode and for me on this show. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I believe making a meaningful show is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So extra special emphatic shout out to you for staying with me all these episodes long. There's some people who've listened from the very beginning. I I can't believe that. That's awesome. But whether this is your first episode or your whatever, 50th, thank you so much for staying with me. And I'll talk to you elsewhere, but hopefully somewhere. And Castos and the brand new host of this show will be announced right here really soon. So stay subscribed. Until then, keep making what matters. See ya.